2: Hollywood. Hollywood takeover.com slash Jesse pure talk. My sponsor and my wireless company is now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. As you plan your summer travel, make sure your wireless company covers you at home and abroad, unlimited talk text and plenty of 5g data for just 20 bucks a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. Go to puretalk.com slash jesse to make the switch today and save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com slash jesse. Your holster is way more important than you think it is. It's just way more important than you think it is. What, look, and I get that. The holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms, right? Eight seven seven three seven seven four three seven three. It is time to continue and wrap up the Lewis and Clark segment. This is number three. Hopefully, we'll never ever ever go four. And three better be a real big rarity. But I don't make any promises. I don't make any promises on this show. I as you well know, have so many, are we going to call them personality flaws? I mean, people love to call them quirks, but that's really just a nice way of saying these are gigantic, gaping holes in who you are. One of my massive ones is I get distracted, and when I I tell you history stories, I get sidetracked, and I get into the story. And as I'm telling the story, something will pop up that will interest me, and I'll just go off on a side tangent, and then I look. I'm like, oh, wow, that was a whole segment. Dang it. (laughs) So, But today, Chris, I don't care if it takes two hours. I don't care if it takes 20 minutes. We are finishing this today. I'm committing that to all of you, including producer Chris. When we last left Lewis and Clark and if you missed the beginning of the setup and then the continuation after the setup, that was Thursday and Friday. So just go back download those shows. In general I find it's probably not good in the radio business to tell you to turn the channel or turn the show off. However I am jumping in in the middle of this freaking story. And if you missed the first two, it's an incredible story. Start with Thursdays, then Fridays, then come back to today's show. Remember, the whole show's podcasted right after the show. It's not like Chris waits around for it. It's on iHeart, Google, Spotify, and iTunes. Just go get the podcast. So, again, I'm not giving you any setup today. There's simply not time. You can't trust... I can't trust myself, so we're not doing any kind of a recap. When we left Lewis and Clark, they were having a bit of a tense exchange with the Teton Sioux, the king dogs of the plain, warlike, beating the crap out of everybody, mastered the horseback, so on and so forth. And just know there were even tensions as they left the Teton Sioux because, well, There are certain advantages to being lords of the plains. One of those advantages are you get to charge a toll, a toll to use this here river. You see, remember, this was French territory, the Spanish, it's been changing hands. These are people who've seen white men before, seen obviously other Indian tribes before, and... Contrary to popular belief, how we have to paint all the Indians in today's books and movies, Indians liked stuff too. Indians were all about power too and land because guess what? Indians are human beings. They're not saints and angels. They're just like any other skin color. And one of the reasons they're my favorite actually is the Sioux use that to their advantage big time, conquerors. And part of that is, oh, yeah, no, you can go upriver for a fee. The funny part about this Lewis and Clark expedition was, yes, they were there for diplomacy, there to make friends, but also there to inform the Indian tribes, there's a new rooster on the block, if you want to make that saying a little more family friendly. almost used the word, I almost used the C word right there, Chris. Dang it, that would have been a bad way to start a Monday. That's how it was always said to me. But again, back to Lewis and Clark, they're not paying any toll. And they were informing the Sioux, oh, no, 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 we want to be friends, but you seem to misunderstand the relationship here. There's a lot more of us than there are of you, and we're very, very powerful, and we're coming. Do me a favor, unhand my boat before you lose it. They parted. And it was tense. It was very, very tense. And one part I skipped over the other day briefly was the Spanish. Remember, the Spanish are still at this uh, at the point in time where they feel like this Louisiana territory purchase where Jefferson bought it from France. They feel like it violated a treaty and it might have. And they feel like this is not legitimate at all. They feel like this is their territory. And they are sending out groups to go hunt down Lewis and Clark. You didn't know that part of the story, did you? They sent out a smaller band of dudes. Of course, these guys, they don't know what they're doing. They end up getting in a huge fight with a bunch of Indians. It doesn't go well. They have to go back home. Then they send out another big expedition. They miss Lewis and Clark, too. Can't find them. Have to go back home. Then the Spanish at one point sent a 600 man expedition, 2,000 horses, out there to find Lewis and Clark, slap them in cuffs for what they viewed as a blatant, you know, illegal exploration. Couldn't find them, had to go back home. And what's amazing is Lewis and Clark this whole time had no idea they were being hunted by Spain. While they were doing this exploration, there are so many near misses and oh, there's a great near miss today. One of my favorite old West stories of all time. So you're just going to have to hang tough for a minute and we will get there. Like I said, I'm finishing today. If it takes the entire daggone three hour show. I did get your emails. I should mention. Thank you for your kind words. Appreciate that very much. And to the gentleman who is the, Former felon, leftist, now grinding away, getting grades in school, and seems to be, he wrote a long email, seems to be really exploring what he believes. Brother, I don't care that you're on the left or on the right. I think it's freaking awesome that you're pulling your life together. Lord knows I could be in your shoes. I've got a laundry list of screw-ups 10 million miles long. Forget about yesterday. Keep marching on, man. Proud of you. Now, we shove off. We are heading west, and they have a destination in mind. First, they're going to continue to hunt and fish. They are trying to get to the village of the Mandan Indians, M-A-N-D-A-N. The Mandan Indians are almost the rest stop. They are the far western reach of really where white men had been in any significant numbers. They were very friendly with virtually all of them. They were known to be endlessly hospitable. You, If you were a fur trader or you were Lewis and Clark or whoever you were, you stopped in and hung out with the Mandan. Hung out, traded, it's going to be friendly, it's going to be great. Lewis and Clark have a plan to get to the Mandan, By winter time, because you do not travel this area in the winter. One of the things we don't talk very much of is how much the weather played a huge part in so much of history. How many battles and wars and things have gone south in the winter? You all know the stories about the Russian winter, killing Napoleon, killing Hitler, killing all these guys. Genghis Khan was the only one who seemed to love the daggone thing, of course. Forever, Armies wouldn't fight in the winter. The Roman army, nobody. You just did not fight in the wintertime. It doesn't matter if you're in the middle of a war. The snows start falling. You know what? We're going to go. We'll meet you guys back here in spring, okay? Which is so bizarre to me, but it affected things. So they're heading towards the Mandan, but they run into some trouble. Some bad trouble and some better trouble. Hang on. I'll explain. I'm going to shoot you straight. I am having more issues with my truck. I know this is something you've heard from me before, and I know you know how much I despise them. Despise them. Because the money. I mean, it's not just the headache of taking it in, maybe getting a rental. It's the money, right? It's backbreaking when you have to fix your car. I know you've gone through it. You know what that check engine light means for you? It hurts. It's going to hurt financially. Not anymore, though. Now you have CarShield. CarShield offers you a wide range of protection plans that actually can save you thousands of dollars on covered repairs. We're talking you choose the mechanic. You choose the dealership. Go find out what I'm talking about because they bailed me out. Go to CarShield.com. That's carshield.com. Use the code JESSE. Jesse Kelly. Back soon. Lewis and Clark and the Corps of discovery. They're heading to the Mandan village for the winter time. And first they encounter their very first encounter with grizzly bears. Obviously it was not unheard of for people to encounter bears in the Americas. There are black bears all over the East, especially back at this time. They were, they knew bears to be dangerous. However, there's a black bear and there's a grizzly bear. What they were really shocked by, and this kind of behavior you generally don't see with black bears, the grizzly bears, well, similar to the Sioux, the grizzly bear are used to being the apex predator for all of their history, all of it. I have never had to run from anything except for maybe another larger grizzly bear, including a man. Uh, I see you there, man. I smell you there. I bet you didn't know that grizzly bears have a sense of smell several, several, several times greater than a bloodhound. Their their noses are absurd. That's why uh, bear spray works so well. Their noses are so absurdly sensitive it just screws them up terribly. Anyway, grizzly bears don't run away. And that's what freaked out Lewis and Clark. You can't kill them, or it's very difficult to kill them. And they don't run away. They run at you. You see one away from you. You take a shot at it. You hit it. One, he's not going to die, especially not with one of these old school muzzle loaders. And two, he's going to turn around, find you, hunt you down, and eat you. It totally freaked them out. They wrote extensively about these grizzly bears as if they were medieval monsters. They just didn't know what to do. That was the bad trouble they got in. Now it comes to the Arikara or Arikari Indians. If that name at all sounds familiar, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. You know the story of Hugh Glass. If you don't, I've done it before a long time on the show. I'll definitely do it again. It doesn't matter right now. What you need to know is for a long, long time, these fur traders, American, French, British, so on and so forth, had great relationships with Indians sometimes. Sometimes those relationships went south, and for a long time, the Arikara were hunting down and killing every fur trader they could find. They used to call them Rees. However, this is not that time. At this time, or this may be even just a totally different band. At this time the Arikara were <clears throat> welcoming. Extremely welcoming. And when I say extremely welcoming, I mean these are men who've been only with other men for quite some time now. In their younger 20s. Testosterone filled men out exploring the wilderness. They find the Arikara. It's very, very friendly. And so friendly that they are. Well, they make a great discovery for them. It turns out the Arikara. Their women believed that they would. Take some of your power. If they would welcome you in their teepee. I don't even know if they had teepees. You're just going to have to read between the lines in what what I'm trying to say here. They viewed these men as very powerful, which they were, and it was their belief they could acquire some of that power. They gave back a little, and they did. Now, obviously, while I'm sure this was fun for men in the... uh, core of discovery, um, it also comes with problems, as it always does. You see, it's not just nowadays where that whole situation gets messy. You see, the Arikara women, um, it wasn't their first time. And it wasn't their first contact with anybody from the outside world. And, well, I don't believe anybody with the expedition Stopped at a 7 Eleven and purchased the proper protection beforehand. And wouldn't you know it, VD breaks out with the core of Discovery, and it ended up being a problem for the rest of the trip. I bet that was quite a shock, Chris. So, yeah, there was that. And we're going to move right along there because this is a family show. They get to the Mandan villages. They settle down, winter with the Mandan. And they're trying to keep the peace and extend the peace with all the Indian tribes. We touched on that last show, so I'm not going to go into it extensively here. Just know that they always wanted the tribes to get along with each other. Lots of the tribes, most of the tribes got along with the Americans. Or in the very least, just let them by. But they were always fighting with each other. There were always these rivalries. And then there were alliances that turn into rivalries and rivalries that turn into alliances. It's just it's it's no different than humankind today. Again, it's so funny how people have to act as if that way of life was so much more noble or so much worse, brutal savages. It's not any worse or better. It's just people. People find a tribe of some kind. They share common values in that tribe. They pursue prosperity for that tribe, and in the pursuance of that prosperity, they're going to run into other tribes pursuing prosperity, and there's going to be trouble, and Lewis and Clark were some of the very beginnings of America not understanding the different bands, different chiefs not understanding how long so many of these rivalries had gone on. You don't get to show up with some medals and trinkets and a couple knives and smoke a peace pipe and bring this chief from this tribe over with this chief from this tribe and let's just get along. We're going to get along now, right? I told you guys to get along. Doesn't work like that. They were finding that out quickly. Now, remember that big keel boat that Jefferson and Meriwether Lewis had designed for this trip? This entire time they had been, one, emptying it of all the supplies in it, food, whiskey, trading goods, bullets, all those things, you know, as they used them. And two, they had been loading it up with, gosh, I would have loved to have seen this. These people came prepared. They've been loading it up with everything, maps, diaries, documentation, descriptions of everything. Remember, this is a core of discovery. They're out here to explore. They're sending back, trying to send back live animals. Not very many of them made it. I think just a magpie and maybe a gopher or something. They're, the animals that aren't live, like badgers and such, they're putting their furs. They're putting their skeletons in these things. They are sending back troves of things, so we have records. Now, there's a couple reasons they're sending it back from this Mandan village. One, they're done with the keelboat. It's a great boat to send back east. Two, remember, there hasn't been mail. Thomas Jefferson doesn't have any idea what's going on with these guys for right now. Maybe a word from this trapper or that trapper, but you need to give the, the boss a heads up that you're alive. And if you're Meriwether Lewis and Clark, you really need to give the boss a heads up that just wanted to let you know how successful we're being Just out here being successful. Always important to check in with the boss now and then and make sure he knows how invaluable you are. So it doesn't hurt to send back a keelboat loaded with stuff that Jefferson is going to get off on. Jefferson loved this stuff. Loved it. Winter ends. They send the keelboat back east and they head west. Now we are really in uncharted territory. It's a little tough. com. Well, I wish it wasn't necessary now, but it is necessary because they can't stop it. They haven't found out how to stop it. It's going up, not down. That's what's so amazing about home title theft. The FBI knows about it. Law enforcement knows about this. They're trying. It's not their fault, but they can't get a handle on it. The problems are getting worse. It's just too easy for these cyber thieves to get their hands on your home title Forge your signature on it. Take a loan out against it. And you have to pay it back. That's real. It's happening right now. Unless you have HomeTitleLock.com, you are toast. So go get them. HomeTitleLock.com. Don't forget to use the code JESSE because that gets you 30 days for free. HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Promo code JESSE. The expedition is heading west. They know the Rocky Mountains are coming. They have been misled, however, with how difficult it's going to be To cross the Rocky Mountains. I'll be honest with you. I did some digging into this. And I'm not seeing a lot out there that says they were lied to. But I find this totally bizarre. How could people be under the impression, Indians or not, that it would be easy to cross the Rocky Mountains? And I need to explain this to you in case you've never been there. I lived there for much of my life. We moved to Boza, Montana when I was 10. So for about a decade, I lived there and have spent so much time up there, Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, Utah, Colorado, just shoot, all all through the Rockies. People who've never spent any time in the mountains or around the Rocky Mountains can get a mistaken impression because you just see it on a map, maybe, or you picture a mountain in your mind, and you see what do you see? Like a line of of mountains, and that's just cro- we'll find a gap and we'll cross through that gap, and then we're through the mountains. You know, it's normal land, and then you cross the gap, and then then you're back into normal land. No, no, you do not realize how wide. And vast they are. It's a mountain and a gap and then a mountain and a gap and a mountain and a gap and a mountain and a gap and a mountain and a gap. Do an image search. I haven't even done this yet. I bet it's good. Do an image search right now for the Rocky Mountains. And don't look at the length. They run, you know, clear from Canada down to Arizona. Look at the width. Now, traverse that on horseback. It's difficult to put it mildly. And we're in a modern era, Okay, a modern era. And I used to do elk camp in the mountains. And we would ride up in the summertime and bury essential food and supplies in barrels in the ground and then ride back down off the mountain just because we knew we were going to have to ride back in. And it's so daunting. You have to make sure you have extras. And this was modern era. GPS and stuff like that. Now do it before there's anyone else around you ever. I, I, I'll i be honest with you. This part of the trip, if you've never been to the Rockies, will be hard for you to appreciate. And if you've been to the Rockies, you will get it. You will get it 100%. That they traversed the Rocky Mountains is amazing. And they were told it would be easier than it was And they start getting closer and closer, and they're finding out that is not the case. And they're finding out you potentially have some real nasty Indian tribes out here somewhere. They come across this gold mine of a girl. There's a dude, her husband's a French dude, and kind of a scumbag. We're not going to go into him. He had, I think, four or five Indian wives, all of them 16 or under, Uh, He was not well thought of by the crew, by Lewis and Clark, by any of them. Just not well thought of at all. But he did have a 16-year-old Indian girl named Sacagawea, or Sacagawea, depending on who you're hearing say it. You've probably heard the name Sacagawea. She's revered to this day. Remember I told you I grew up in Bozeman, Montana? We have Sacagawea Peak. Right there. And that's one of a thousand things that are named after Sacagawea. She's famous. And she really, quite possibly, saved these guys' lives. We'll get to that in a minute. But she she helps guide them through the Rocky Mountains. Should be noted, they're still fighting grizzly bears. One time they had to shoot it ten times to get the thing to die. This is an ongoing problem. They're having to be extra careful out there hunting. And remember this, we talked about this the other day, they're hunting and fishing constantly. It is a constant effort to feed 25 hardworking men trekking across the Rocky Mountains. It's difficult. And they're still exploring. And here's what's really wild. I want you to pause for a moment and think about communication. Think about what you know, what you don't know, trying to coordinate with things. When's the last time you had to coordinate with two different groups of people for a business, for a party, for whatever? Was it seamless? Or did it take a little bit of time? Maybe a miscommunication here or there. Maybe someone flat out got something wrong. Again, remember This is with modern technology where in your hand you are connected, connected beyond belief. Eight trillion ways to connect you, to contact you. So picture splitting up towards the Rocky Mountains with no cell phone, no email, no mail, no nothing splitting up just to do something simple like explore the fork of a river they come to a river and there's a gigantic fork where it looks like um okay the river we we are on is going this way or it might be going that way and you don't know which direction to take you have to split the group up and meet backs in the middle somewhere and they split the group up to go explore they come back actually end up meeting together in the middle with no answers. They think they might know, but it's like half the expedition says, I'm telling you, this fork is the one, and the other half of the expedition says, nope, this fork is the one. They ended up choosing correctly, and the trip would have been disastrous had they chose the other one. That's how close things get with this thing. And they're coming to things like, waterfalls you see you're not really running into waterfalls as you take the river through the great plains you start getting into mountainous rivers you start getting into hazardous dangerous environments full of rapids that can kill you like that and do to this day full of waterfalls you don't just get to hop on a boat Smoke a little corn cob pipe with your hat draped down over your eyes and enjoy floating down the river. You have got a scout ahead a lot. How slow is that process? Then tell me this wouldn't suck. Let's say you find a waterfall. How do you think you handle that? You have to take every boat you have and everything you were hauling in the boat, you have to unload it onto the shore. Then you have to go by foot down to the base of this waterfall with all the stuff. I'm not going to belabor the point, but just know it's time-consuming and exhausting. And now you're getting into—they're in the Great Falls region at this point in time, Great Falls, Montana— Now you're getting into mountains. Now you're getting into harder to breathe. You're burning even more calories. And, of course, as luck would have it, Great Falls, Montana, at this time, swarming with grizzly bears. They are having all kinds of problems at night. Grizzly bears. During the day, grizzly bears. And this young girl, Sacagawea, worth her weight in gold, really, really earns it again. You see, they run into some Shoshone. It turns out her brother's the freaking chief. <laughs> so that really works out. That really works out well because at this point in time, the guys of Lewis and Clark are starting to get very, very hungry. They're not getting enough food and they really need horses. There's simply not a way you're going to be able to traverse these mountains without them. You're just not. They get a friendly Indian tribe, link up, hugs and kisses all around, and we're rolling for a while.
3: Miss something? There's a podcast. Get it on demand wherever podcasts are found.
2: The Jesse Kelly Show. You need to diversify with your money. Uh, It's not as if I'm breaking new information to you here. You need to spread your money around. You worked dang hard for it. You've done the smart thing. You've done the right thing and you've invested it, saved, spent less than you made. Because you're going to retire one day. You don't want to work until you're 95 years old. Oh, that's smart. Please tell me you don't all have it in the same place. Please tell me you don't. Get a gold IRA. I'm not telling you to do something drastic. I would never tell you to do something like that. I'm telling you to get a gold IRA from Gold Alliance. A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Spread your money around so if the worst happens, and you know it will... You're not completely toast. Goldalliance.com slash Jesse. That's goldalliance.com slash Jesse. Go there today. They get their hands on some horses. They make their way through the mountains. And they're hungry again. Again, they continue to run out of food. They continue to search for this water route that'll get them clear to the Pacific. They run into the Nez Pierce Indians, and it is important we dwell on the Nez Pierce for a moment because the Lewis and Clark Corps of Discovery is most likely the Lewis and Clark story of a bunch of dudes who disappeared in the mountains without the the Nez Pierce Indians. The Nez Pierce take these guys in. I have a, a bit of a connection because the Nez, this is in general the Montana area. I went to Chief Joseph Middle School. I don't know if it's still named that in Bozeman, Montana. Chief Joseph was a Nez Pierce chief. These people. Yeah. Good for them. It's really really freaking awesome what they did taking them in. We need to we need to make sure we point out Lewis and Clark and the men are constantly f- battling sicknesses at this time. They do continue to run into other Indian tribes where the women are welcoming We'll get into that more, but that is affecting the health of the men as well. I wasn't kidding about the BD thing. It was a problem. It was a big problem. Obviously not one you read about in the kids' textbooks, but I give you the real deal here. It's a big problem. And they were suffering from malaria extensively. We'll get into that. I mean, that ended up having a big effect on on Lewis and others, constantly battling sickness. They do finally get to the ocean. Now, the plan was simply this you get to the ocean because it's about winter time again. I would highly recommend you read a book or two. Read Stephen Ambrose's book, Undaunted Courage, on this if you want the whole thing. Because I just went from one winter to the other winter in about 30 minutes of radio. And there's so much good stuff in there. I just can't possibly take too much longer on this. But they get to the Pacific Ocean and their plan is to winter there and then go back home. They end up wintering right next to another Indian tribe. Takes them in. Very nice. Very respectful. Again, women extremely welcoming. They decide they're going to live separately from the Indians. Very smart. They build a little fort there. They have a separate salt camp where they're pulling salt out of the ocean. I don't know exactly how they did it. I believe it was like a big boiling thing. And when winter finally ended they had to go back east they are no longer well supplied remember they are just flat out running out of everything this expedition was not supposed to take this long they don't have things and now because you don't have things you don't have things to trade because we didn't we're not really dealing with currency with the indian tribes you're just trading goods for goods you know that's what human beings do whenever you don't have currency well, I mean, they can be nice and they are nice, but remember the Indian tribes are people too. So you go knocking on the door, uh, I need some of your canoes. And the Indians are all, okay, well, what can you give me for them? Oh nothing. Well, no, go pound sand, go build your own canoes. This is this is capitalism always rules, baby. Always. So we actually get into a point here, an ugly little point. I don't like this part of it. Especially because the stealing. Remember we talked the other day about the stealing and how much of a part of so many of the tribes it was. It was not looked down on. And again, if it sounds like I'm defending them, it's because I am. That was part of their culture. As a young man, you see the a horse that belongs to another tribe or a white dude. You're almost expected to go take that horse. You get back with someone else's horse, with someone else's gun, with someone else's woman half the time. Uh, you're not getting scolded by the elders in your community. You're getting a pat on the back. Got a boy. Proud of you. It's their culture. Lots of them. And Lewis and Clark had a major problem with the constant thievery. By now, and this part stinks, but because of the cultural divide, by now, there's real animosity between the core of Discovery and Indians in general. Yes, they have some tribes they love and they get along with, but they're so sick of constantly having to look out for the thievery, it's bothering them now badly, which is really funny because these Indians they're with out there, they're not parting with any canoes. And they have to have canoes or they're not going to get back east ever again. And Lewis and Clark steal one. Sucks, right? Sucks big time. Hang on.
0: Brought to you by the Ad Council and its Pre-Diabetes Awareness Partners.
2: Lewis and Clark head back east. They do trade for a canoe. They do steal another canoe, and they're taking off. Now they are healthy at this point in time, as healthy as you can be after this much time away. So that's pretty cool. Um, they're not racing back east. You need to understand that this is not a this is not a, a desperate trip of survival. Now they're healthy enough that they're still exploring. A lot. But that's part of the problem. They're trying to get cover as much ground as possible, bring back as much information as possible, and everywhere they go, the Indian tribes who are friendly to them are warning them, just like they were getting warned about the Teton Sioux. Uh, you're coming up on the Blackfeet. Uh, you know you're coming to the Blackfeet, right? Have you heard of the Blackfeet? You do know which direction you're going, right? That's where the Blackfeet are. Blackfeet Indians, one of my favorite tribes out there, extremely powerful, very, very violent, and Lewis and Clark are not only heading towards them, they're splitting up the group a lot and heading towards them, and we are about to have a problem.
3: Jesse Kelly returns next. This is the Jesse Kelly show.
2: Blackfeet, you're heading towards the Blackfeet. Watch out for the Blackfeet. Blackfeet are awesome, I should say again. You should check out the Blackfeet Indians. Very cool tribe. And wouldn't you know it, they're starting to see signs. One of the groups that has split off is starting to see signs of an Indian tribe everywhere. Contrary to popular belief, I know everybody has to make all the Indians out to be a saint. Oh, they would camp down someplace, and as soon as they were done camping, they would fill in the wildfire and replant the grass so you never knew they were there. Oh, shut up. No, they didn't. They're leaving sign behind all the time, and they see this Indian sign all over the place. Finally, seven of their horses go missing one night. Lewis and Clark... And these men of the frontier are not stupid. They know how to tie up a horse for the evening. A horse doesn't just vaporize. They know they've had horses stolen from them now. Again, increasing the resentment. Finally, the day comes, and they run into a small group of seven or eight Indians on horseback, and these Indians are not pleasant. They are shouting. They're belligerent. They're all male. Lewis and... is actually just Lewis at this time. Clark is separate. But Lewis and his small group are trying to wave flags, which is a sign of peace, lay down their weapons. The Indians are getting rambunctious. And in one of... Gosh, this had to be intense. Lewis talked about how scared he was later. One of the Indians charges on horseback. Lewis gets off of his horse and lays down his rifle and holds his hand out. Like, stop. I come in peace. Stop. The Indian charges up to him, turns around and rides back. They finally approach each other and have a peaceful exchange. They smoke a peace pipe. But it's a tense, tense moment, and it turns out, yep, these are Blackfeet. Okay, well, all right. Well, look, we're, we're gonna let's just hang out together for a little while. No problem, right? It'll be no problem, right? Yeah, there's gonna be a problem. Just like the Teton Sioux, these are Blackfeet. These are the big guys on the block. And they're used to doing what they want when they want, and they're a warlike tribe. One night, they wake up, and there are three guns stolen, and they see the Indians running off with the guns. One of the men of the expedition, and this is sweet, I mean, they all go charging after them. One of them catches up to him. Has a knife, catches this black hawk or blackfeet warrior, has a knife, knifes him in the chest, kills him, plunges a knife into his chest on the ground, kills him. Lewis gets his horse stolen and his rifle stolen. Rides up to this guy. This guy turns around, takes a shot at Lewis, Barely misses. Lewis says he hears the the bullet fling by him. Lewis shoots with his pistol that he has left. Does not miss. Another one. Dead. Now you've got a big, big problem. You fought off those because the other ones ran off. Now, though, you are in the heart of Blackfeet territory with Blackfeet Warriors who just escaped. They already hate your guts. Now you killed two of their warriors and wounded their pride, and you don't even have the whole expedition with you. You're in trouble. Lewis, I don't know whether you can say to his credit or not, decides he's going to peacock a little bit. You see, they had exchanged these little medals with the Blackfeet Indians, you know, a little friendship medals. Hey, Here's a little medal of mine. They would, they would give these medals out often to the Indians. A little coin, a little medal. Lewis, Goes to the Blackfeet Indian he killed and ties the metal around his neck as a gigantic middle finger <laughs> to the Blackfeet tribe. He even said it. He wrote it down. I forget exactly what his words were. It's, you know I want I want them them to know. I wanted them to know. I tried. They get in these. They they learn to make what they called bull boats. They were boats. They had uh, made of obviously uh, out of wood and buffalo hide, and they get in the daggone river and they're sleeping at this point in time one hour a night for a couple days. There's no campfires. There's no hanging out. Get in the boat and put miles between you. Now the good news is they're heading down river, so you're you're traveling. uh, You're probably traveling sixty miles a day. So they do. Make it out of there alive. They end up meeting back up. They get the whole group together. And life is good. They find a cache of food. Remember, they on the way out west, they had buried food and supplies other places. We're talking about powder, shot, flour, salt pork. So these are like a godsend. And now they're pretty much out of the water. Out of danger. They get Clear back east. They get to St. Louis. They are they have crowds of people waiting for them as word gets back. People thought they were dead. A lot of people thought they were dead. They'd heard from them. And again, there's no mail. And these guys are international heroes. And it's difficult to describe how amazing that is because very few stories are international at this time. They knew about Lewis and Clark. Everybody did, let alone national heroes. The country is incredibly grateful. The men of the expedition are all given double pay, all given gigantic land grants taken care of very well according to their rank. It's so funny. How so many of them just continued to live lives of adventure and danger. More than one of these guys will go back into the territories with trappers or whatnot. More than one of these guys will die at the hands of Indians in later years. Just out there, Indian fighting, trapping, trading, which is really cool. And you know what? I wasn't there, and it's easy for me to say when it's not my scalp under the knife. I bet you that's how some of them would have wanted to go. A man like that, that's the life you live. I think it's pretty cool. Clark goes on to have a very happy successful life. One of the guys of the expedition get this. Turns around and fights in the war of 1812. Multiple turn around and fought in the war of 1812. This guy fights in the war of 1812, loses an eye, continues to live for like ever, and the civil war breaks out and tries to join the army at the age of 91. <laughs> the army's all, dude, what? Are you serious? They probably should have let the guy in, lived to the age of 98 with one eye. That's the good news. The bad news is Lewis, Lewis did not do well. Remember, suffered from alcoholism, suffered from depression. His family did. One of these guys probably not suited well for a wealthy existence without adventure. A guy like that. One of these super genius types, alcoholic depression, they need to stay busy. You have to stay busy. He said, don't get me wrong, he keeps himself busy starting businesses and whatnot, but he starts racking up debt like you can't believe. Now you've got enough cash. This is part of the problem. When you have substance abuse problems and you make it career-wise, now you have the money to feed that beast. So he's diving deeper into alcohol, which, of course, makes the depression worse, and drugs, opioids and whatnot. Remember I said he had malaria? He's treating that. He's treating a gunshot wound he got hunting from one of his own men on the expedition. Hang on.
3: Is he smarter than everyone? Who knows? Does he think so?
2: Yeah. The Jesse Kelly Show. You know how long gold and precious metals have been worth something? Let's start with, well, for all of recorded history. That's how long it's been worth something. That's why it's so important to have some gold as part of your portfolio. You just have to. And it's not, look, I'm not asking you to buy pirate treasure here and have a treasure chest in your home, although that'd be really cool. It's official. I want you to get a gold IRA. There are gold IRAs now. A lot of people don't even know about them. Gold Alliance can walk you through every single part of getting a gold IRA, they make it completely easy. Make your wealth protected as it grows, protected by buying gold, goldalliance.com slash Jesse. That's goldalliance.com slash Jesse. Go get a gold IRA. Don't wait till tomorrow. Get one today. Lewis piles up debts. He was uh, quite fond of, because he's a governor at this point in time, he's obviously given so many positions of importance, revered. I mean, these guys are national heroes. And he was very fond of making promises on the government's behalf. Didn't have, it appears he didn't have a great concept of money. And I've known people like this. Maybe it was because he grew up an aristocrat. Maybe it's because that's just not how his mind works. I've known people who have a, a great concept of money and a lot of people who don't. Obviously, producer Chris, great concept of money, as we all know. It's, look, he's it's Jewish producer Chris. I've known people who just money doesn't occur to them. They'll go buy things, and you're you're doing the math in your head thinking, well, you make this, and now you drive that and that home. And sure enough, about six months later, I had to sell it. I couldn't make the payments. You, you didn't work that out beforehand. Some people just don't have a good concept of money. Lewis grew up an aristocrat. I don't know whether that played into it or not. Alcoholic, drug addict. I don't, I'm sure that didn't help. And let me be clear on something. I'm not judging the man at all. I've had and have plenty of my own problems. And guess what? You do too. We just don't advertise them, do we? So good for him. Wish he would have got through it a different way. He didn't. And he's constantly ra- racking up bills. Now, in general, the government doesn't want to say no to Meriwether Lewis. Let Let me clarify this. In my lifetime, there has never been a national hero of this fame. If you're older than me, the best example I could probably come up with would be somebody like Neil Armstrong. Maybe Dwight Eisenhower, like that kind of guy, post World War II Dwight. I mean, that, a national hero. Meriwether Lewis ain't paying for too many drinks in the bars. Granted, that turned out to probably be a problem, but. So the government is having a hard time saying no to, but eventually he gets so bad, the government finally says, nope, we're not paying that. That's on you. And he's racked up debts everywhere now. Debts that he's personally responsible for. He decides he's got to get back to Washington because he does not have the cash. He's got plenty of property and such. He actually started a business with Clark. Those two remained you know, close friends forever. He doesn't have the cash, though. He's just, so he decides he's going to go back to Washington, D.C. and go do some personal lobbying that the government pay these things and... Then, as in now, lobbying, really important. I know we're in the age of the Zoom phone calls and virtual classes. Um, There are some things that don't change. God created us for human-to-human contact, and there is no substitution for it. Zero. I'm not anti-technology guy either, anti-social media guy. I think, it's, I think it's wonderful. It can be used for good. can be used for bad. I'm not anti-technology guy. I'm here telling you, though, there is no substitute. Shaking hands, looking somebody in the eye, speaking to them, judging their mood, their body language. So Lewis is heading back to do that. Along the way, his demons get the better of him. And... There have been a lot of conspiracies around this because of the way it happened. He fires two shots. He's staying in the home of, I believe it was a bed and breakfast. It might have been a hotel. I'm not sure about the detail on that. But I know he fires two shots. They find him shot in the stomach and shot in the head, which lends to the conspiracy theory as well. This is not a stupid man. Depressed or not, if he wanted to kill himself, it is a little weird that he would ever consider shooting himself in the stomach first. And I'm assuming that's the first shot. I guess we don't know that. But you don't want to be gut shot ever. It releases uh, those acids into your body. It takes forever to die, and it's brutally painful. You do not want to be shot in the guts. Just put one in my head and finish it off. But he is shot in the gut. Shot in the head. Still not dead. Apparently attended to by servants. Asks them to finish him off. They don't. Took a little while to die. Finally he dies. Quite an ugly ending for Meriwether Lewis. And that is the story of Lewis and Clark and the Corps of Discovery. As I often do, I tell you the ones that are worth looking into more because I can't do them justice. Let me tell you, the Lewis and Clark voyage is something you should look into more. It's an awesome, cool, cool story. I'll tell you who did a good documentary on it too, was uh, as he always does. Ken Burns did one a long time ago. I saw it as a kid. I should watch it again. As an adult, Ken Burns did a little two part one. It was like two, two hour shots not like his normal 10 part four hour episodes or whatever they are but it was very very good well worth your time and I like the I like the visual documentary part as much as I like the Stephen Ambrose book because you get to see the plains you get to see the Rockies it brings home the journey more because of the visual aspect to it Isn't he the one that said Sacagawea, Chris? I don't know. I, I, look, we called it in Bozeman, like I said, Sacagawea Peak. There's Sacagawea everything. We always called it Sacagawea. And then for a long time, I heard people call her Sacagawea. It doesn't really matter. I, I don't think, I don't think. to be honest, some of that stuff gets lost through the ages, and I don't think they know. I bet you there are a thousand different words and names We pronounce a certain way today that if we said it back then to that person's face, they'd laugh in your face. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) But part of the reason I love this story so much is it's an American story. All American. And it was such a source of pride for America in general because by now... At this point in time, you know, 1800-ish, I think it ended in 1806. Everyone else had their explorers. Everyone else had their Magellan, Christopher Columbus, Hernan Cortez. Everyone else did. Everyone had Ponce de Leon. America was still so young. We'd only been around 25 years, 30 years at this point in time. We were still so young. What did we have? We had a revolution but we were still finding our footing and looking for a huge, huge source of national pride. You want, as a nation, you want some notches on the belt. And that was ours. And it was awesome. And it was part of what built this amazing country. And I love the Indian parts of the story. And I love the explorer parts of the story. I love the thought of, being out there with nobody and nothing else but each other. I think it's such a credit, such an absolute credit to this country. And the reason I wanted to do this one so bad, I've been wanting to do it for a while, is I think with all the bad news, and there's plenty of it, and you know, I'm going to get to some of it today. I think it's easy to forget what a cool, cool story the American story is. And we're not even that old as a country still. But there are some really, really awesome parts to America. That's worth remembering. HomeTitleLock.com. Go there right now as I'm talking. I'm not asking you to do something crazy. I just want you to go register your address at HomeTitleLock.com. All right. While I'm talking, because there's a chance you're already a victim of home title theft and you don't even know it yet, and that's part of what makes this crime so bad. It's so easy for them to get a hold of your home title. It just is. They get hold of your home title. They forge your signature on it. They take a loan out against it. Okay, all that stinks. What stinks the most, though, is they're long, long, long gone, and you're getting past due notices in the mail before you ever figure out what's happening. And even then, you don't know what's happening. You're confused. At what Was this a mistake? It's hard to get a handle on it. Go to hometitlelock.com. Use the code RADIO. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the code RADIO. That gets you 30 free days of protection. Joining me now, as he always does on a Monday, the great Michael Malice. And I have been waiting all morning to hear how absolutely devastated Michael Malice must be in finding out that Donald Trump didn't pay very much in taxes. Michael, do you think he'll be able to withstand this devastating news? Good
4: morning. Sunday morning. (laughs) Um, (laughs) <laughs> I, I I think this is going to make people who liked him like him more because I think a lot of people like that he exploits the rules to get ahead, which is very American in its own way. And I think the people who are saying, oh, this is terrible, they thought he was terrible before. I mean, they're trying to compare this in some way to the Access Hollywood tape from four years ago, which I did think uh, threw a lot of people for a loop, including Mike Pence, Paul Ryan at the time, from reporting. But in terms of this, everyone's like, heck yeah, like more power to him. What they're freaking out about, supposedly, is that they're trying to pretend that he's broke. I mean, can you imagine the idea that a sitting president, like he leaves office and he's not making a million dollars a speech? It's really loony uh, the fantasy land they work in where a minimum, minimum wage worker should be able to afford a two bedroom apartment, but a sitting president is actually going to be on welfare somehow.
2: Yeah. I, I, these, these freaking people, what do you, we have obviously another poll out here, every single poll. I mean, I don't track them every day cause they're so mind numbing and you can't ever, no one ever reads the sub tabs. You can't trust the daggone thing. But once again, We are heading into an election where Trump is down and down significantly in almost every national poll. Why?
4: Well, I think it's because Biden's been in his sarcophagus for months. And I think the (laughs) reporting on Trump has been, you know, as before, relentlessly negative. And I don't think he's had the opportunity. What we, what we all remember in 25, 2015, 2016, is that every week he was on the attack. He was going after the Republicans to the delight of the Republican base. And then he was going after Hillary Clinton. He's not really going after Biden. And there isn't as much to go after with Biden as there was with Hillary. He's, by all accounts, a more decent human being, has a better record. You know, just all the, other than speaking English, he's running the table on her. Um, but we forget there's. Three debates, and then the vice presidential debate. And if you've seen some of these clips, like they're on my Instagram, where he doesn't even speak English anymore, this is a 90 minutes. Jesse, you and I talk for a living. That's no joke. That is a lot of time to be on your feet. And trying to have to answer questions, and he's the master at that. And I'm I'm concerned uh, for what's going to happen with Biden. Is his, is his other guy, other eye, going to shoot shoot up with blood like last time? Remember this?
2: It's it's I do remember this. And you're right. People who've never spoken in public, or even you know, it's not like I'm gonna act like the radio is really the hard work out there. But it can get exhausting. But the public speaking, really, when you're on your feet, high pressure, it drains you. School teachers will tell you this. That it's just, it, it is more exhausting than people know. So what is the solution if Trump goes out there and does poorly or Biden does okay in the first 10, 20 minutes of this debate? I think that is a very, very big deal because the American people want to see functional Biden. Am I crazy?
4: I I agree with you completely, but there's two things people need to realize, even if Biden was in the the height of mental health. This guy was a senator for decades. He was vice president for eight years. He's very thin-skinned. We know Trump is thin-skinned, but there have been many instances on the campaign trail when Biden has been challenged, and he went into full get-off-my-lawn, angry-old-man-Biden. One person said we should have open borders. Biden literally turned his back on him and said, vote for Trump. Uh, the other guy asked about Hunter, and Biden just started yelling, "Why, why, 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 why? Remember this clip?" <laughs>
3: yeah, I do. So,
4: it's very different when you have the sitting president uh, talking about your son's crack pipe to your face mm-hmm. about your your grandchild that you've disowned. Uh, How do you react to that? This is national television and you're a sender. People talk to me like this. So we forget that aspect of angry Joe, which I think Trump is going to be the master
2: of provoking. He is. He he steps on all the toes you're not allowed to step on. And that's why it drives them bonkers. I have this theory and I have no idea whether or not this is accurate, but that part of the reason Trump is always taking over the news cycle even when something the democrat does something horrible hillary would do or say something horrible and sure. trump would immediately come out and almost come over the top last time and do the do and take back the news cycle i think he does it on purpose because positive or negative if the elections about him he wins and this election's all about him is that a dumb well, theory
4: i don't think it's all about him because i think there's a lot of people voting for trump cuz they see these riots and they're like, if Biden's on top, he's not either not going to be able or willing to stop them. So I think that happened in 2018 with Ferguson. The Republicans got their biggest House majority since the 1920s. So I think there's a lot of people who are quietly anti-Biden in, or just anti-left in that regard. I think the broader reason is his strategy. I think it's fair to say Trump's clearly an egomaniac. So if the attention's not being paid on him, he's really good at being able to get the spotlight back on him, which most politicians are able to do. There's that old joke about the most dangerous place in Washington being between chuck schumer and a camera so trump takes that and you know escalates it up a (laughs) hundredfold
2: that's a great saying all right why are rich people mega rich people so boring and i ask it in this way there's nothing more boring than a new 15 million dollar mansion in malibu somewhere why does why do mega rich people not build you know castles with moats and working cannons and something awesome wouldn't you do something awesome if you had that much money
4: Jesse, they go. They have these pizza parties, and you and I are uninvited, But let's oh, just say it's not boring.
2: Oh, oh gosh, that's
4: terrible.
2: All right, <laughs> where's the lie? I had no. The lie? There's not. There's not a lie. There's not a lie. And this child predator stuff has been going on from rich, powerful, powerful people throughout history. And it's just one of those things. It's unspoken because they have all the friends in all the right places, and they cover all this stuff up. And it's disgusting.
4: Grover Cleveland adopt, uh, married the girl he adopted as an infant when she turned 18. Oh. People don't know. Yes, look it up. He, She was his ward. He knew her since she was a baby. The day she turned 18, he married her. He was like 30 or 20 years older.
2: Oh. Yes. Oh, gosh, I feel ill. All right, speaking of kids and babies and such. Do you actually think the left is insane enough, I think I already know the answer to this question, to, <laughs> to go after Amy Coney Barrett for adopting black kids from Haiti? You've started to see that sprinkle around social media this weekend. It's one thing if that's on social media. Do you think a United States senator is dumb enough to bring that up as a negative during her hearing?
4: No, not during her hearing. I do think there, the Senate's different from the House. And I do think Senators do like to hold themselves with some modicum of decorum. A good example of this is Amy Klobuchar. You know, she was passively trying to ask Brett Kavanaugh if he was like a drunk, but she's like, look, my father's an alcoholic, I'm asking you a question. She was trying to be very reserved about it, right? That's very different from—and what. And I gotta tell you, uh, I'm not using this language loosely, I think there's something like literally satanic about people who are comfortable sacrificing children to further their political agenda, like in the Old Testament sense, mm-hmm. uh, they, if there's any anyone who needs help it's uh, uh orphans <laughs> i mean this is like this this like social security and all this uh uh new deal was passed like widows and orphans widows and orphans so to chastise someone who saves the lives of children for that uh is depraved to the height of human depravity
2: agreed 100 and there's nothing more blessed you can do for another human being than adopt one from haiti you know snatch a kid out of poverty yeah it's amazing michael malice host of your welcome i appreciate you my brother Take care, Jesse. Bye. Adoption. I mean, full disclosure, we have looked into it, have not pulled the trigger yet. I'm not sure if we ever will. What's more blessed than adoption? Especially when you're adopting kids from a country of poverty. Talk about. Changing somebody's entire existence. A Haitian orphan, one of the most poverty stricken nations in the world. If you're not an orphan, and a Haitian orphan bringing them into your home, it's more than I'll ever do for someone else. Jesse Kelly. You're listening to The Jesse Kelly Show. You need Car Shield. You just, in this day and age, you have to have it because aren't we all vulnerable to that next gigantic car bill? And look, there's a reason Car Shield is America's number one auto protection company because they are flexible. That's the best part of Car Shield. They're flexible, payments are flexible. Plans are flexible depending on your needs. And I know you know this, but I'm going to tell you anyway, they only make two kinds of cars. Ones that have had problems and ones that will. There's another problem coming with your car. There just is. That's the nature of having something with that many moving parts. So get CarShield now so you can save thousands when the worst happens. It's just, goodness, it's just financially smart carshield.com. Again, that's carshield.com. Use the code JESSE. Remember, a deductible may apply. So, we need to talk about this Trump tax returns thing briefly. I brought it up with malice. I just, it represents uh, the story itself makes me laugh for a couple different reasons. One, the press doesn't understand or doesn't want to understand what has happened in this era of endless outrage, endless social media stuff. Let me tell you something. Do you know that Donald Trump was impeached? I mean, yeah, obviously you remember that. As soon as I said it, you're like, yeah, I remember that. But when's the last time you thought about that? What was he, Chris? Third, I believe. Third president in the history of the United States of America to be impeached. That is, by any measure, the biggest story for any presidency. It happened to Donald Trump, and you already forgot about it until I brought it up. And full disclosure, I did too. I had a friend bring it up to me last night. I was like, gosh, oh no, no way. If there's a new scandal every day, if everything's an outrage, if everything's a bombshell, if everything's a scandal, then you're just numb after a while to it. Your body gets used to what it goes through every day. It adjusts. It's how God made us. If you work in an office, you sit in a chair all day, eat bad food, don't exercise, there are certain things that are going to happen to your body and mind. It will adjust. You'll droop over. You. I mean, you've seen pictures of people who have been, who've sat at a desk too long. You will. If you spend your time, your free time, hiking through the Rocky Mountains like Lewis and Clark, your body is going to adjust to that. Your lung capacity will increase. Your hips and legs will get stronger. Maybe parts of your body will wear down faster, knees and such. Your body makes adjustments. Your mind makes adjustments too. People who are in abusive homes, this is a great example. People who are in abusive homes, you ever have the chance to talk to one of these people? will tell you the different things their mind did to escape that situation. Your mind makes adjustments to keep yourself sane in prison. Your mind makes adjustments. Everybody's mind does. Your mind, by now, has made adjustments to bombshell Donald Trump in trouble now. You instinctively roll your eyes, even if it's just to yourself. Oh, brother, what is it now? Now you're at the point, if there was a huge scandal, would you even believe it? One, two, would you care? If you've destroyed the man for everything under the sun, everything under the sun, real and imagined, are you at the point where you'd care anymore if there was an actual scandal? I'd like to think I would. I got to be honest. It would take a while to convince me it was even real. I've watched you lie for four years now. Why would I believe you now? And another reason I find the story so funny, the story, just a quick recap, it's showing that Donald Trump paid like next to nothing in taxes for 10 years before he was president, which anyone who knows anything about billionaires and especially real estate and declaring losses on businesses and such. Nobody is genuinely shocked by that who knows anything about the world of finance. And I'm not an expert in that world. I know a little. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. So that's a billionaire. That's what they do. Anyway, it's not shocking, but it came out in the New York Times. The other part of the story I found was funny, though, is Democrats... People on the left, I shouldn't say all Democrats. I probably shouldn't say that much because there are still some old school, sane Democrats out there. You know, old blue collar union types. And I love those people. Those are my people. I'm, you know, I grew up in the Rust Belt, Ohio. Blue collar, Rust Belt Democrats are my people. Obviously not a big union guy anymore, but that's, those are my people. You're some card carrying nut job leftist. You can go screw yourself, but old school, blue collar Democrat, nothing wrong with that. But. These leftists genuinely do not see another form of patriotism higher than paying taxes. For them, they are outraged that somebody would dare scam the saintly government out of the money that it rightly deserves. In the minds of a left, you hear them talk about it all the time. When they talk about a tax cut, and they talk about giving money back. Well, we're giving money back. It's not your money, idiot. It's their money. You don't make money in America because of the government. You lose money because of the government. It's their money. But for, the left, for a leftist, they genuinely view that as the patriotic thing to do. Well, you have to do your duty for America and pay taxes. That's what they view it. They're horrified. Virtually every person on the right looks at that story and says, oh, nice. Who has a number for his accountant? I wonder if I can afford that guy. There's one other part of this I really find funny. Hang on. Nothing, nothing outrages the left more than presenting them with the reality of life. With, with, here are the reasons your worldview is insane. I realize you've thought the sky is green your whole life. Here's why the sky is blue. They freak. So when a leftist finds out that rich people don't pay taxes... Rich people pay lawyers and accountants so they don't have to pay taxes. When they find that out, it genuinely floors them. All taxes. Every single tax in the world is a tax on poor people and the middle class. Every one of them. It all bleeds down. You ain't ever hurting Warren Buffett. You're hurting me. You're hurting you. Hang on. It is Medal of Honor Monday time. As you well know, you cannot turn, tune into this show for any moral guidance as I'm in to give it. I am a soulless monster and not an admirable human being in any way. However, I do believe it is important that we remember the great deeds men have done for this country. Just remember them. I, I don't know why. I find this, I've, this has always hit me. When you read these stories, like the one I'm about to read you, this one's from uh, Sylvester Antolak. When you read the things they've done, I think they're awesome and awe-inspiring. And admirable, and just really, really cool. But it always hits me that they're forgotten. Or they're not known. You you see the way these men fought and oftentimes died, and the things they did, and then they're just gone. I mean, this is this is this is this is World War II. This is 80 years ago. And he's just forgotten. We have their citations. And if we don't talk about them, if we don't bring them up, then they're forgotten. And I think because we can't do anything else for this guy or these other guys, I think the least we can do is remember. Take a minute and remember. He was a sergeant, United States Army. This took place in Cisterna di Littoria, Italy. All right, this is the actual citation. Near Cisterna di Littoria, Italy, he charged 200 yards over flat, coverless uh, terrain to destroy an enemy machine gun nest during the second day of the offensive, which broke through the German cordon of steel around the Anzio beachhead. Fully 30 yards in advance of his squad, he ran into withering enemy machine gun machine pistol and rifle fire three times he was struck by bullets and knocked to the ground but each time he struggled to his feet to continue his relentless advance (laughs) with one shoulder deeply gashed and his right arm shattered he continued to rush directly into the enemy fire concentration with his submachine gun wedged under his uninjured arm until within 15 yards of the enemy's strong point, where he opened fire at deadly close range, killing two Germans and forcing the remaining 10 to surrender. He reorganized his men and, refusing to seek medical attention, that's with three bullet wounds, by the way, refusing to seek medical attention so badly needed, chose to lead the way around another strong point 100 yards distant. Utterly disregarding the hail of bullets concentrated upon him, he had stormed ahead nearly three-fourths of the space between the strongpoints when he was instantly killed by hostile enemy fire. Inspired by his example, his squad went on to overwhelm the enemy troops. By his supreme sacrifice, superb fighting courage, and heroic devotion to the attack, Sergeant Antillac was directly responsible for eliminating 20 Germans, capturing an enemy machine gun, and clearing the path for his country, for his company to advance. He was born in Claresville, Ohio. And like I said, worth remembering, right? When's the last time a million people got to hear that guy's story. That's why we do it every Monday. We'll always do it if we can contribute one admirable thing to this society, Chris. I think we should. But you all, it should be noted, are contributing mightily because we have two new reviews left on iTunes and honestly they they both had me in stitches this morning. They had you guys have me in stitches remember the podcasts are available on iheart Google, Spotify and iTunes. Subscribe on iTunes, leave a five star rating and in the reviews talk about how handsome I am because it's hilarious and this is this is the kind of stuff I get. I honestly don't know which one I love better Chris. This one's headlined I would climb that like a tree. okay then? Great history, news, politics, personal advice, and recipes. Host is exceptionally easy on the eyes. Now I know what Jim Croce meant when he wrote, All the downtown ladies call him treetop lover. (laughs) All the men just call him sir. I wear heels all the time now when I cook and do housework. Keep up the good work, Jesse. (laughs) You guys are idiots. I love you. The second one might even be better. The headline is, I'm now a single parent. Stay with me till the end here. I'm now a single parent. After listening to this show and the host's deep masculine voice, I became pregnant. I have named my child Shogun and my child trains daily in Croft Maga. The strangest part of this story is I'm a 35-year-old male. <laughs> Gosh. You idiots. Quit. All of you. That's enough. 877 377 if you want to call in. I am curious about the castle. I meant when I asked Malice about the castle. I, I say this because... Sometimes I watch these various shows on television about you know, billionaires or millionaires, and not necessarily that lifestyles of the rich and famous stuff, but you'll see some guy, you know, Mark Zuckerberg or some, who's worth, who knows, billions of dollars. And they live such normal lives sometimes, or if they do do rich person stuff, they all do boring rich person stuff. Like I said, it's a 15 million dollar mansion in Malibu. They it's it's you know, it's a vacation. You, know, you and I will go to Florida. They're going to Fiji on a private jet. But they're just doing what you do a little better. Right? They're doing what we do a little better. You go wait in line at the doctor's office. They get house calls. I go to Red Lobster. They actually fly to Maine to have fresh lobster. That's it's the big difference. But wouldn't you do cool stuff? I don't just mean a castle. A castle's my thing. And believe me when I tell you, if I ever build a castle, which I'm never going to have that much money. I'll be honest. It's not my goal to have that much money. I'm sure it's your goal, Jewish producer Chris. I know it is. Okay. I have no desire to be a billionaire, and I don't say that as some human being. I'm just above all that. I like money as much as the next guy. I just don't have a use for that much money because I don't have expensive tastes. I need air conditioning and a pickup truck. I need a comfy chair. I just—I'm a very basic human being. I'll—I'll be, I'll take being a millionaire. That would be cool. A billionaire, I just don't need it. But if I ever was, I would absolutely build the sweetest freaking castle ever and even I I would make sure they're legal, right? But I would have cannons up there, and I would have a moat in there. I have thought about crocodiles or something in the moat, but you know that that actually wasn't real. They didn't have – the. oftentimes the moats were not even filled with water. It just hurts an attacking force if you have to go down into a ditch and then up the side of the ditch because they put the moats right at the base of the castle, so you're getting shot at. Arrows, oil, everything else – While you're trying to climb up this steep side of a dish, it makes life hard. What, Chris? Well, that's a good question. That's a really good question. Hang on, let me think about that.
3: This is The Jesse Kelly Show. Like a stain on your brain, you can't get out.
2: Could there be anything worse than getting evicted from your home? Especially if it wasn't even your fault. Imagine that. Imagine what that feels like. And know this. That's happening right now. Cybercrime is up 75% since all this stuff started. Since all this coronavirus madness started. 75%. People... It's not difficult for these cyber thieves to get a handle on your home title. It's just, it's so easy for them. They did it to me, and they forged mine and my wife's signature on it. I thought it was real. It looked so real. And it took them less than 10 minutes to hack it and take it. That's jaw-dropping. Get home title lock.com so the worst doesn't happen to you. Don't forget to use the code RADIO that gets you 30 days of protection. HOMETITLELOCK.com. Use the code RADIO. <music> Chris asked how much property I would want for my castle, and I'll tell you, Chris. I'm struggling with this. And this is why I'm struggling. I want, obviously, plenty of ground. But I also kind of want to rub it in everyone's face that I have a castle. And it would be hilarious to have a castle in a kind of more normal neighborhood that just absurdly sticks out. And so everybody's like, oh, gosh, I freaking hate that eyesore. And my castle casts like a shadow down on someone else's house. That wasn't there before. Sorry. Look, we needed an extra watchtower. All right. You never know. Guess where you'll all be coming if the Mongols come back right here. So part of me wants to have a lot of land. Part of me wants to be obnoxious about it. Definitely going to be a drawbridge. And no, it's not going to be electric either. I want one of the old school chains with the cranks things. Because if I have that much money, again, I'm not going to be boring. I'm going to have servants, lots of them. And I'm going to have exotic servants, too. They're going to come from all over the world. So people are like, wow, look at this man of the people. What? They're going to have to speak English, though, because that I'm not I'm not dealing with all that. It's going to be awesome. Oh, and another thing that rich people don't do enough. Why wouldn't you hire a professional chef? To just come live with you. You see these rich people? And I mean like billionaire rich? And they're going to uh, to Taco Bell. Dude, I love Taco Bell. You know I'm a Taco Bell man. Even, look, I understand that their employees nationwide have a combined IQ of 200. All of them. I get that. Taco Bell, totally underrated for the amount of food you get for the money. Taco Bell's delicious. Little Diablo sauce on there, as long as you're not a girl, it's awesome. But I'm not eating Taco Bell if I'm a billionaire. I'll fly in a freaking chef from Mexico City to come make me authentic Mexican food. What, Chris? Okay, even if you're not going there for the Mexican food, I would have a professional chef. I would have a castle. And in my castle, speaking of which, you see all these wealthy people. Oh, look, we have a gigantic fountain. Oh, we have uh, Greek sculptures or something like that. Why not put a huge ball pit in there? What, Chris? I'm serious. Why not put cool stuff in there that you can't get anywhere else? We're having a, uh, a gigantic fish tank. The size of three Olympic swimming pools with sharks. And if you come over as a guest, part of the part of the thing as a guest, you can feed the sharks. We'll let you like throw little baby seals in there or so, Not all right. Stop baby seals. See, we're getting this is why we get hate mail to the show. All right, an ugly animal that women don't think is cute. You can throw them in there and it'll all be glassed in and you can watch the sharks eat. We're gonna have shark eating. We're going to have a ball pit. We're going to have some kind of zip line in the house. You see what I mean? When is the last time you saw one of these people who does something cool like that? They do lame stuff. Uh, and, And they have these pools. This is what you see all the time, these huge swimming pools. Look at the pool with a huge waterfall on it. Let me ask you something. When's the last time you saw one of these people build a slide into the waterfall so you can actually sail off the waterfall like 20 feet down into the pool? Never, because there's no imagination with these people. All right, Chris, now I need to be a billionaire because this house is starting to get really cool. Uh, The zip line. The zip line, oh, not only am I going to have a zip line, get this. I'm going to have a zip line that lets me zip line to basic tasks like getting the mail it's going to go from the top. I'm not even kidding. It's going to go from the top of the castle, and I'm going to have a gigantic pad, like a big soft pad, built down by the mailbox. And I'm going to just – that's the zip line sound. I do my own sound effects. I'm going to zip line off the castle to get the mail and just drop into this huge pad, and everybody's going to want to come hang at my house. Enjoy your fountain, lame What, Chris? I understand zip lines can be overrated. I'm not talking about that, idiot. If you only get the mail once a day, it's never going to be overrated. Plus, the kids could... Well, no, there's probably a lot of liability there if the neighborhood kids come over. All right, not just for the... It's only for me. It's only for me. Speaking of parenting, great moment in parenting the other night. We had a lobster truck. There's this lobster truck in Houston called Cousins Maine Lobster. They were on Shark Tank. They've been all over the... I don't know how many major cities they're in now, but there's one in the Houston area, and it's not like they're a sponsor of the show or something. I'm telling you, go. If you have one in your area, go. Now, you may have to take out a second mortgage, but go. They fly in Fresh Lobster either every day or every other day from Maine. When, when I say lobster, I mean lobster rolls, lobster quesadillas, lobster grilled cheese. Highly recommend. I have one of those. And it's, it's very, very good. And my boys love seafood. My sons love it. And we come home. I think this was Saturday, Friday or Saturday. And I tell the boys, I said, boys, I've got some good news and bad news. They're like, what? I said, uh, we are having lobster for dinner. That's the good news. They're like, no way. Yes. What's the bad news? The bad news is you're not invited. (laughs) We left them home and ordered a pizza. (laughs) What? It's called parenting. Okay, look, that's part of educating your kids. And while it's just fun to be unnecessarily cruel like that, it also is important, and I really mean this, it is important to remind your kids the world doesn't revolve around them. So often we let our love for our children, and I love my little buddies a lot, we let our love for our children consume us, and we feel like we have to treat them like royalty. I walk, I, I drive around the neighborhood. You know what I see a lot? There's this thing now where you put, I don't even know the best way to describe it. A child will be having a birthday party, okay? In the front yard, happy birthday, whatever, Braden. That's that's generally the name of something like that. Braden, Aiden, or Jaden, or something. Bryce. Each letter gets its own individual stand in the yard. And I am not exaggerating when I say 25, 30 feet long. Happy birthday, Brayden, across the front. It's it's totally okay to have a birthday party for your kids. We've done it. Go meet all your buddies at Dave & Buster's. Here's 30, 40 bucks. Go play some arcade games. Yes, I'm going to borrow your card and play some games myself, so you probably will run out of money faster than all your friends, but that's life. You know, whatever the case may be. Come on now. Come on. If you treat them too often like royalty, you end up with a lot of what we have now. These kids in their mid-20s, they get to a job, and they're genuinely shocked when tasked with doing things they don't want to do. They're shocked the boss is not more receptive of their feelings. I swear on my life, more than once I've encountered this in the business world, and all my friends who are in the business world will back this up, they're encountering, I'm not making this up, guys who will get in trouble at work and their mother will call the boss. I. When I first heard it, I didn't believe the story was real. It's real. It's happening out there. One... I would lose my mind if my mother ever called the boss. Two, my mother never would call the boss. Three, if I came home complaining that my boss yelled at me at work, my dad actually might call the boss. He'd call the boss to tell him to be twice as hard on me the next day or fire me for being such a sissy. But that's what we're doing when you raise kids to think the world revolves around them. It's unhealthy. You're creating an unhealthy adult that is a child that is not going to know their place in the world. These kids who think like this, not their fault. Oh, yeah. I know. You've heard me yell about it already. More problems with my pickup truck. Now that fan is on all the time. You know that engine fan? That's that's when I do my own sound effects. It's so loud I can't order my fast food cheeseburgers anymore without turning off my truck. On top of that, I went to turn up the volume, the volume controls on my steering wheel. I went to turn up the volume yesterday. I pressed the volume up button, and it switched my podcast off and turned it over to AM radio. It's done this before. It cost me $600. That's why I'm thrilled about CarShield. CarShield offers these protection plans that save me thousands of dollars on repairs, and I choose the mechanic or dealership to do the work. That's outstanding. They're number one in America for a reason. Go to carshield.com. That's carshield.com. Use the code JESSE. Save 10%. Shorting me now, as she often does... Author for, well, she pretty much writes for every major news publication and author of that great book, The Great Revolt, the only one who called the 2016 election or one of the only ones, Selena Zito. Selena, I think billionaires are extremely boring and I don't know why they don't build castles with moats and ball pits in them and stuff like that. Why are, why are billionaires so boring?
1: I would love to see a how a, a, a castle with a moat. I mean, I did when I was in Scotland once, mm-hmm. but I feel like that doesn't count. Like we, we should have, we should have some more of those in in America. Although, I suspect that billionaires do have the twenty uh, first century equivalent to that, uh, but you know, we don't get, to, we aren't privy to seeing those. Those um, extra security measures they put in yeah. to keep us peasants away.
2: That's probably the point. Yeah, I would have, oh man, my moat would be filled with piranhas. It'd be awesome. All right, Selena, we have yet another national poll out. Trump down 10 points with likely voters. Polls here and polls there. And none of them look good for Trump that I can see, although he's you know close to the margin of error error in some swing states. Not really up anywhere. But that was pretty much the same last election, right? Or is this worse? What's it's the story? It's kind of
1: like Groundhog Day, mm-hmm. isn't it?
2: hmm
1: So here's, here's, here's what I will say. Uh, I, you know, everyone said, oh, the polls were wrong, the polls were wrong in 2016. Well, they are, but they were for a very scientific reason. Uh, pollsters... Uh, when they poll people, one of the first, in fact, I think it is the first question, because they're always looking for a likely voter, right? The person that's actually going to show up. And the first question they ask is, have you voted in the last two election cycles? And if they haven't consistently voted, it's either two or four, I, I can't remember, I think each pollster uses a different calculation. If they didn't, they would politely say, thank you, um, you know, this call attempted. Now, why do they do that? Because they they want to get as an accurate understanding of who is showing up. So the problem is a lot of voters that supported President Trump, if you read the book, The Great Revolt, which I highly recommend you do, one of the archetypes we call paralistas. Why do we call them paralistas? Well, we named them sort of after Ross Perot. These are voters that don't show up all of the time, and they get missed by the polls. They made between four to six percentage points of the Trump support. They're sort of like Haley's Comet, right? They show up every 100 years. And and they and and they aren't noticed by the people that calculate who is going to vote for the president. The other there's one other little nuance that we should also be thinking about when we look at polls. In when again in the book The Great Revolt, we did a survey afterwards of only Trump. Self-identified Trump voters and self-identified Trump voters in the battleground states of Pennsylvania, Ohio, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Iowa did not tell a family member, a friend, or a pollster who they were voting for.
2: Man, that's wild. And you would assume that number goes up after four years of Trump is the Antichrist news stories, right? Or is that is that a stupid assumption? Are
1: you kidding me? 2016 is like a Disney movie compared to what we're living through right now. Okay. I mean, 2016 is mild. Think about all the cancellations. Think about people who lost business because they supported Trump. Think about the the, the, the owner of Goya and, and how they were boycotted. People in particular, suburban uh, voters, are really reluctant to let their voice. Be heard and they don't trust us that a pollster won't give out their information when they release the poll.
2: <sighs> Selena, what can a pollster do to be accurate? If the population has separated and and we're we're you know fractured and they can't pull accurately, is there something they can do to pull accurately?
1: It's definitely a challenge. What I, what I think sometimes is you, you, you look at a pollster that is also doing focus groups, because when you get a and, and tries to, in those focus groups, um, have an understanding of each party's coalition as they, they pick the people that are in their focus group. And, uh, and, and that's traditionally done by um, private polling, by, um, and, you know, candidate polling. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the gentleman that I co-wrote the book with, Brad Todd, they, they, had the, they had the election down to one percentage point. I mean, they were spot on because they weren't just polling numbers. They were also doing focus groups. And so they, they had a much better understanding. But my profession tends to be very dismissive of internal polling because it's done by the candidate's team. They tend to think they stack it to favor uh, uh, their candidate. And I know that Brad's team does the opposite and tries to be as skeptical as possible so that they understand what to tell their candidate to do next.
2: All right. Well, are we fracturing more as a nation, or is that simply because I know you've left social media. Everybody should go sign up for her newsletter, which she's going to tell you about in a second. But is that just the social media effect, or are we legitimately fractured? where there seems like such an urban-rural divide now. And there's always an ur- urban- urban-rural divide, but it seems worse now than it's been.
1: Right, you're definitely, I mean, go back to, to to the beginning, or just even the beginning of our country between the um, uh, the people that served and fought in the Revolution and and even some of our founding fathers. They were, with the exception of Washington, they were you know the most elite of the elite. And even think about that the the old fable, the city mouse and country mouse. It's not. I don't think we're at each other's throats. Uh, outside of social media. I don't see much evidence of that. Uh, but, you know, you're, you're going to find a story here or there, but mostly those stories are exploited to make someone blue check on social media feel really proud of reinforcing whatever they thought about the other person. But for the most part, my experience, and I'm on the ground all the time, I am in the back roads all across the country, and I do not need- Twitter does not reflect anything that I see uh, in terms of how people communicate with each other uh, when it comes to politics. The other day, I drove past uh, and pulled over and talked to some people in Venango County, Pennsylvania. I think it was Venango. Maybe it was, I don't know. Maybe it was Crawford. I'm not sure if I crossed one one line or the other. Anyways, they were having a discussion uh, with the, the... the yard signs were Trump, Biden, Trump, Biden. It was really funny. So I pulled over to talk to them. All of them were working out in their yard. And I said, So you guys get along? And they just started laughing because three of them are related. So <laughs> So and then and you know it it you know, people we all have different political viewpoints, and we all get there from a different place. Most of us are tolerant. Where I find intolerance is on social media, which is where souls go to die. Just thought I'd put that out there.
2: I'm very tolerant, Selena.
1: I, you're very funny. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> Selena Zito, where can I go for your newsletter?
1: Please, please, please sign up at selenazito.com, S-A-L-E-N-A-Z-I-T-O. I I send out an email when I write a story. They're free. They're fun. They're not fattening. And I take you all over the country. Thank you. In fact, I I take you prospecting in Western Pennsylvania this week, and I'm interviewing the Labor Secretary this afternoon.
2: I will be reading it. I will be reading it. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. She's the best. She's so sweet. Just like me, Chris.
0: You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers.
3: You nurture, we listen. You teach, we thrive. You lift our spirits, but we've got to lay down the truth. It's time for you, our Shiro, to stretch for the stars. Start saving more for retirement now, so you can feel prepared and live your life to the fullest. Get free tips to help boost your retirement savings now at aceyourretirement.org slash Shiro. A message brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
2: Chris has spent the break trying to figure out how we're supposed to say Worcestershire. He thinks it's Worcestershire. I say it's Worcestershire, but I'm almost positive. I'm adding an extra syllable in there. In all fairness, I'm not looking at the word and Chris is looking at the word. So look, we tackle the tough issues during the breaks around here. I want you to understand while you're sitting there relaxing waiting for the show to come back on, we're grinding over here. We're grinding. Just trying to get through another day, trying to get through another. Tomorrow is debate night. We'll talk about this again tomorrow, but I believe this for a fact. I believe Joe Biden is going to do a lot better than you think he's going to do when he needs to do it. And this is what I mean by that. Joe Biden's going to be filled up with a drug cocktail that would keep a dead corpse alive for an hour. He has a medical team. I'm not guessing on this. Don't ask me how I know. I know he does. He has a medical team now. They've been juicing him up with who knows what to keep him sharp for brief periods of time. Now, granted, that's part of the reason he has to call it quits so early now. It's like all drugs, there's an equal and opposite reaction. He crashes and turns to nothing after he's done. So they're going to do that for him tomorrow night. And I always, because I think the debates are 90 minutes. I think tomorrow night's is 90 minutes. Really, it's about the first 20 or 30 minutes that matter. Because people will start tuning out. The people who are still watching the presidential debate after 30 minutes, it's you. It's me. It's, you know who you're voting for by now. I know who I'm voting for by now. The, undecideds, the undecided swing voters in swing states are not watching the presidential debate for 90 minutes. They're going to tune in as Joe Biden coherent, how are they each doing, so on and so forth. In any TV product, anyone, you lead... With your A-game. I've told you this before, but as you know, I do a one-hour TV show every day, too, for the first. The network is the first. You get it on Apple TV, Pluto TV, all these things. So when you're doing TV, my show is called I'm Right. It's on the first. When you're doing TV, one of the things you learn is they'll, they'll lay out each part of the show in blocks. And the block is, this is how much show you do between commercials, you know. You'll do A block, commercial, B block, commercial, C block, so on and so forth. The A block is the part that is most important by a mile. By a mile. Those most popular TV shows you watch, there's a reason most of the time it's a monologue that'll get spread across social media. Essentially a 5, 10 minute, 15 minute speech. My opening of my show is a monologue every night. 10-15 10-15 minutes. It's me giving a speech. Because it's the most important part of the show. Why is it the most important part of the show? Because people do not watch entire shows most of the time. If they watch, it will be the beginning. That applies to everything people consume on television outside of sports where people will tune into to the end if it's a close game. The debate, no different. And you and I have to constantly, constantly, constantly remind ourselves of this between now and the election. And I understand it's frustrating, and it can be frustrating, but you have to remember, the votes that need to be won over are almost undoubtedly not won over in your circles. Even in my circles with, with the the reach it has now. You're trying to win over a voter in Wisconsin who voted for Barack Obama twice and then turned around and voted for Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton in 2016. That is not a person who pays close attention to politics. It's simply not. If you can swing back and forth that way, I don't know that you can be defined that easily, but I do know this. You do not have a set of political values that determine how you vote. You just don't. I'm not even judging them. Doesn't do any good to talk down to those people, but that's not the kind of person who watches 90 minutes of a political debate. I believe they will tune in, most of them, for the beginning. So prep yourself for Biden to do all right after those drugs are really kicking in in the beginning. Donald Trump knows this, by the way. There's a reason he's now calling Biden publicly, calling for Joe Biden to be drug tested before the debate, and he says, I will too. Donald Trump doesn't say these things by accident. Donald Trump says these things on purpose, so the media is forced to cover things they would not otherwise cover at all. The media knows this too. Joe Biden is going to be so drugged out, he's going to make Keith Richards look like a nun by the time he steps up on that debate stage. He is. He is. So, understand, he's going to do better than you think. Prepare your expectation level. And this is one of the reasons Trump drives these leftists insane. Insane. Because forever... They've gotten away with doing this kind of thing and nobody saying anything because Republicans are too nice for that. Not anymore. I know you're worried about the financial system. You should be. I'm not going to sugarcoat that for you. But there's precious little you can do about it. What can you actually do about it, right? You can't hide your money under a mattress. You have to still invest. You have to plan for a future of some kind. You don't have to panic. You don't have to do something crazy. You just have to go get a gold IRA. Just diversify a little. And if you're thinking to yourself, I don't know where to go, I'm not sure what to do, go to Gold Alliance. They've been doing it forever. They have the highest possible rating you can get with the Better Business Bureau. Do you know how difficult it is to get an A-plus rating? They have one. They'll walk you through all of it. Believe me, it's not difficult at all. But you do need to do it before the collapse happens. Not after, before. GoldAlliance.com slash Jesse That's goldalliance.com slash Jesse. Not to be too dark at the end of the show, but I've said it before. I will say it again. I am worried they are going to kill Joe Biden accidentally. When you are in that physical and mental state, having seen people go through this, you need rest and you need care. Life is stressful physically and mentally. You cannot be juicing somebody full of drugs. Even if it's a medical professional doing it, you can't be juicing somebody full of legal uppers. Time and time again, you're going to stop the poor guy's heart. You're going to kill him. Much as I disagree with Joe Biden, I'd rather, I'd rather he not die to be president of the United States. Come on now. All right. Whole show's podcasted after the show. You know where to find it. We're going to have a blast tomorrow. Get ready for that. That's all.
0: For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show.
3: When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner.
0: Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.